You are listening to the Sermons Podcast of First Baptist Church, Mount Washington. Well, I invite you to turn in your Bibles to the Old Testament book of Nehemiah, chapters 7 and 8 today. So if you are visiting with us, we're so glad that you are here and, and we... Uh, are studying through the book of Nehemiah, so you may or may not be familiar with that story, and uh, I trust that uh, though, even though you may not be familiar with it, that if you give yourself today to hearing God's Word, that He will certainly speak to you, even if you don't get all of the details of everything that is going on, and so I trust that you'll do that, and know that we are delighted that you're here with us uh, today to study God's Word. We said from the beginning that the book of Nehemiah is not only about God's people rebuilding the walls around Jerusalem, it is about God building His people, God reviving and reforming His people so that they have the courage and conviction to act and live as the people of God for His glory. And this becomes clear in these last chapters of Nehemiah. So chapter 7 and 8 we're going to look at today. I'm only going to read a few verses from each chapter to begin our time together. Nehemiah chapter 7 beginning in verse 1. Now when the wall had been built and I had set up the doors and the gatekeepers, the singers, and the Levites had been appointed, I gave my brother Hanani and Hananiah the governor of the castle charge over Jerusalem. For he was a more faithful and God-fearing man than many. And I said to them, Let not the gates of Jerusalem be opened until the sun is hot. And while they are still standing guard, let them shut and bar the doors. Appoint guards from among the inhabitants of Jerusalem, some at their guard post and some in front of their own homes. The city was wide and large, but the people within it were few, and no houses had been rebuilt. Then my God put into my heart to assemble the nobles and the officials and the people to be enrolled by genealogy. And you'll notice verses 6 through 65, you have a record of all of the people that had come back to Jerusalem from the exile, those who had uh, been a part of the project of Nehemiah. If you look down in verse 66, Nehemiah tells us that the whole assembly together was 42,360 besides their male and female servants of whom there were 7,337. And then chapter 8 verse 1, and all the people gathered as one man into the square before the water gate. And they told Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses that the Lord had commanded Israel. So Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly, both men and women, and all who could understand what they heard, on the first day of the seventh month. And he read from it facing the square before the water gate from early morning until midday in the presence of the men and the women and those who could understand. And the ears of all the people were attentive to the book of the law. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word today. Uh, Lord, truly what you have to say to us is much more important than anything we can say to you. 
So, Lord, we humble ourselves. We, we ask, Father, that you would speak your truth by your Spirit uh, to our lives today, that uh, we might be changed and transformed by the hearing of your Word. We pray uh, today that you would strengthen us for this. And, and I ask, Lord, that you might use me as your servant today. I pray that you would increase and I would decrease and your word would go forth. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. What's very interesting here that chapter 6, um, by the end of chapter 6, that the rebuilding of the walls around Jerusalem uh, was complete. And yet, if you look ahead in Nehemiah, you'll see that there are still seven chapters uh, remaining. And, and clearly, from just that observation alone, we can conclude that there was more work to be done than just the building of the walls. That uh, God was still working on His people, and perhaps even the most important work was yet to be done. God working in His people to establish them, reestablish them as His holy people, set apart from the world, submitted to His Word, uh, recommitted to the covenant that He had made with them. And Nehemiah wanted to see this happen. He wanted to see the glory of God shine forth from Jerusalem and from God's people uh, once again. So this is why the story doesn't end in chapter 6. Instead, we see... Uh, Nehemiah shifting his objective from uh, the wall to, to the people. Now, chapter 7, verse 1 and 2, he recognizes the need to appoint uh, strong spiritual leaders to uh, lead the people, and so he does. In uh, verse 3, he realizes that uh, if Jerusalem is going to be the, the shining city for God's glory once again, that it has to be different from the world. It has to be distinct from the world as God's holy people. And so he says, let not the gates of Jerusalem be opened until the sun is hot. Until uh, late morning each day, the walls and the gates, or the gates would remain closed and the world would remain outside of the walls. This would help the people to become, uh, to begin to develop an awareness that they are to be different from the world, set apart from the world, called to be the people of God. Verse 4, Nehemiah writes, the city was wide and large, but the people within it were few and no houses had been rebuilt. That is, those who had come back from the exile apparently at that time were afraid to live in the city because it wasn't safe, it wasn't secure with the walls being uh, down. And so realize, Nehemiah realized he would need to call them back to live in the city of Jerusalem once again. So these were the concerns that were on his mind uh, when the last gate was set in place and the wall was complete. That The work that God wanted to do was, was only just beginning. And really the effort that needed to be made to in reviving and reforming the people of God was something that, that God was going to have to do. And so what actually happened five days later was something I think Nehemiah probably couldn't have anticipated. God broke in and, and revived His people. Let's look at chapter 8, 1 through 4 again. And all the people gathered as one man into the square before the water gate, and they told Ezra the scribe, to bring the book of the law of Moses 
that the Lord had commanded Israel. So Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly, both men and women, and all who could understand what they heard on the first day of the seventh month. And he read from it, facing the square before the water gate from early morning until midday, in the presence of the men and the women and those who could understand. And the ears of all the people were attentive to the book of of the law, and Ezra the scribe stood on a wooden platform that, had, that they had made for the purpose. Look down in verse 5. And Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he was above all the people. And as he opened it, all the people stood. And Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God, and all the people answered, Amen, Amen, lifting up their hands. And they bowed their heads and worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. Obviously, Nehemiah had a part in planning and organizing this assembly and calling the people together. And there was some effort made, obviously, to build this platform, which was above the people in verse 4, for Ezra the priest to, uh, to stand on a, a pulpit of sorts. And so there was planning and prayer and preparation. But notice in the text that God began to do what only he could do, which was revive the people, renew them. Church, this is what we need to long for and desire and pray for in our own lives and church, is it not? This renewal and revival, more than buildings and bodies, more than nickels and noses, we need to pray for God to do his reviving work in our hearts and lives. I want you to see from this passage this morning that this renewing work that we need and long for in our lives is always related to a return to the Bible, to a, 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 a focus on the Scriptures. And, and it is that way throughout biblical history and, and throughout history itself. Every spiritual awakening that we look back on has been has been started by a recovery of, of the Bible, of biblical expositional preaching and the people's commitment to the Word of God. From the Reformers to the Puritans in history to the Great Awakening, every true revival has been ushered in by a recovery of biblical preaching and the Word of God. Every true progress of the church throughout history is conditioned on the return of the Word of God as central to our lives. And if the church or our church or any church is going to experience revitalization or revival or reformation or whatever term that you want to do this new life infused into it it will be because of a renewed allegiance and obedience to God's word it's always been that way it will be that way Psalm 19 verses 7 through 10 puts it like this the law of the Lord is perfect reviving the soul the testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. 
The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether, more to be desired than they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. In many ways, what we're reading about here in Nehemiah chapter 7 and 8 is about the renewal of God's people that is, that is fulfilling these very words here in Psalm 19, God renewing and reviving His people. Now, this happens among the people of God in Nehemiah's day. I want you to notice a a couple of things. First of all, when God revives His people, they receive God's Word with grief and gladness. Grief and gladness. And there are several evidences of this if we just, again, look back through the text. First of all, they asked for God's Word. The people asked for it. Verse 1, all the people gathered as one man into the square before the water gate. They told Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses and the Lord had commanded Israel. What a scene. All of these men and women who had been exiled because of their sin, coming back, seeing what God is doing in the city, the rebuilding of walls. Anyone who could understand that is older children and and youth gathered together. And there was this shared excitement and expectation as they gathered. They desired to hear the word of God. In fact, the people began to call out for the word. They told Ezra, the scribe, to bring the book. Bring the book, they said. I think about an impatient... uh, uh, audience at a concert, you know, maybe they were chanting something like, we want Ezra, we want Ezra, you know, except they did not come for entertainment. They come to hear the Word of God. They knew that God was doing great things in their midst, and they didn't want to miss anything, and so they're asking for the Word of God. Do you come to church longing for the Word of God? When you come to this place, is it, is it the Word that you are desiring? Or are you desiring some experience or, or, or some other kind of thing to, make, to, to give you some kind of fulfillment? Or do you have a hunger for God's Word? Are you praying for this in your own heart and life? Ezra the priest began to read them from the book of law. This is the first five books in the Old Testament. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, you know those books that we tend to struggle with on our read through the Bible in a year plans. Um, Ezra begins to stand up and read it out loud. Uh, they stayed for hours to hear the word. Verse 3, Ezra read, it says, from early morning until midday, perhaps as long as four, five, six hours reading through the law of God. They gave attention to the word. Verse 3, And the ears of all the people were attentive to the book of the law. There was this attitude of anticipation, attentiveness, reverence. They're they're wanting to hear the word of God. They, They wanted to learn. They wanted to receive what God was saying through his word. They stood to hear the word. Verse 5, Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he was above all the people, and as he opened it, all the people stood. 
Apparently, this was some kind of a spontaneous gesture by the people. In the moment, sensing the importance of what was happening and the the greatness of God's Word to show respect and honor and reverence to the Word of God, they stood. And I, I can't find any mention of them sitting down the whole time. They stood. By the way, you may be relieved to know that I don't have any plans to speak four to six hours this morning. Just to put your minds at ease. Um, I heard about a preacher who preached for an hour and 20 minutes. And he was uh, getting ready to wrap up. And some fella got up to walk out of the church. And the preacher said, hey, where are, you, where are you going? Where do you think you're going? The man says, I'm going to get a haircut. A haircut? Why couldn't you have done that before you came? He said, I didn't need it before I came. <laughs> we shouldn't focus here on the length of Ezra's a sermon and the people's gestures, I think, is, is perhaps to miss the point. The point is that they were receiving the Word of God with such reverence and joy, anticipation. Notice verse 6, Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God, and all the people answered, Amen, Amen, lifting up their hands. And they bowed their heads and worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. Lifting up their hands was uh, perhaps a physical way to acknowledge that their needs. Sometimes we do that. We're saying, I, I need you. It's, an, it's a, a, a gesture like a child lifting his arms to his parents. And bowing their, their heads was, again, a gesture of submission and, and reverence. And again, these, these gestures are just fine for, for any worship setting. But, but it's actually the worship that matters, right? No matter what the gesture is, they're receiving the Word of God with humility and submission. And then they also understand, they understood the Word of God. They understood it. Verse 8 is a great verse because I think it describes so well the task of preaching today. It says, they read from the book, from the law of God, clearly, and they gave the sense so that the people understood the reading I take that to be a great example of what preaching should be. Reading the Word of God. A sermon should always start with the Word of God. And then it should be about explaining that Word of God. What does the text say? What does the text mean? And then how does it apply? This is the task of preaching. This is, I think, how God has designed this to be a tool by which He renews and revives His people. You've not come to hear me. You've not come to hear about my life. You've not come to hear stories about me. You've come because you want to hear from the book. At least you should come for that reason. That's exactly what happened when God's people understood God's word as it was explained by the Levites, it says that they burst into tears. In other words, God is using His Word to pierce hearts with conviction. They wept when they realized how much they had perhaps disobeyed God, how much they had dishonored Him, and they wept even with gratitude. There's a strange dichotomy that we see that accompanies this, I think. This, when we talk about God's renewing work, how do we know God is renewing and reviving us? How does He work through His Word in our lives? There's something that accompanies that, and it's grief and gladness. And, and you find that strange dichotomy. There, there are people here who are weeping, 
uh, because they're uh, convicted of their sin before God, but at the same time, there is a rejoicing here because of the mercy of God. There's grief that they had gone perhaps so long without submitting themselves to God's Word, but there's gladness because instead of casting them off forever, praise God, we have a merciful God, a loving God, a forgiving God. That's why I think Nehemiah answers, chapter 8, verse 9, Nehemiah, who was the governor, Ezra, the priest, and scribe, and the Levites who taught the people, said to all the people, this day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. For all the people wept as they heard the words of the law. And then he said to them, go your way, eat the fat and drink sweet wine, and send portions to anyone who has nothing ready. For this day is holy to our Lord. And do not be grieved, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. So Nehemiah and the other leaders had set the part this day to honor, God's, to honor God for the work that had been done. And, and they wanted them to see and lift their gaze and see the grace of God. They wanted them to see that a greater reality than even their sin was the fact that God is a redeemer, a savior. He's restoring and reviving them. This was to be a cause for joy and and celebration. When, when God, there's a mixture there. When God revives His people, they, they receive the Word with reverence and joy, with grief and gladness into their lives. This is really a pattern for our spiritual life, and a pattern, I think, for, for how uh, God works. It, it's to be a basic discipline of each day for a Christian. Grief for your sin and joy for your Savior, Jesus Christ, every day. This is why we don't ever move past the gospel, church. This is why the gospel that we preach, we attempt to preach and try to preach and aim to preach every single Sunday, the gospel is not just for lost people. The gospel is for saved people. It's for you and me. It's a reminder every time that we come together, these truths, grief for sin. There's a God who convicts us of our sin, and yet there is a God of mercy who saves us. And so we repent of our sin, and we trust in Jesus Christ. These are two sides of the same coin. This is the good news of the gospel, or the cross. Jesus suffered and, and died for our sins, and it brings grief and shame to our lives, but at the same time, unspeakable joy. Because of His death, we have life. There's mercy and forgiveness. There's a love that will not let us go, and there's, there's grief for sin and joy for God's forgiveness. And so renewal occurs when... when when we, we grapple with these things, when, when we recognize that our sin is so much more serious than any of us could ever imagine before a holy God, and at the same time, understanding that we are loved by God more than anything we could ever dream because of Christ and what He's done for us. And so when we understand those truths, when we receive God's Word with grief and gladness, God renews and revives His people. That's what He's doing here in Nehemiah. That's what He does in our lives. The question for us is, is, are we receiving His Word in this way? Is, is there a sense in, in your life, and it should be when you come to church, bring the book, 
right? We want to hear from the book, but it should be a sense in which you wake up every day and think, I need the book today. I need to be reminded of these truths today. Is there joy and gladness in God's Word? Is there grief over your sin? Is it the the cry, the desire of your heart? Bring the book. I need God's Word more than physical food. Are you submitting yourself to His Word? Are you submitting yourself to the preaching of God's Word weekly, to the reading and studying it every day? If not, would you pray for this revival in your own heart and life? Would you pray for it? Would you pray for it in the life of our church? God, renew us through your word. Notice, secondly, and more briefly, so your hair doesn't get too much longer. When God revives his people, they respond to God's Word with obedience. Obedience. So it's not just grief and joy, but obedience. And this is the fruit of real revival. This is, this is how we know the, the fruit of repentance. God's Word calls us to obey. So we see this this kind of humble, joyful obedience in the people of God. Look down in verse 13, and we see it. This is on the second day. A smaller group of leaders gathered together to study the Bible. It says, on the second day, the heads of fathers' houses of all the people came with the priests and the Levites. They came together to Ezra the scribe in order to study the words of the law. And as they read in uh, these verses, they realized something. They discovered that Leviticus 23 instructed them to celebrate uh, something that was called the Feast of Booths. The Feast of Booths. This was a feast that, that apparently they had neglected for decades and decades that God had commanded them to observe. They were to build tents for themselves and live in these tents for seven days, and it was to be a reminder of how God had delivered them from Egyptian uh, slavery, from the Exodus, uh, so many years prior uh, uh, to this. And so, they they were supposed to be observing this as the people of God, the the Feast of Booths, and, and building these tents and staying in them for seven days, coming together in the city and staying for seven days. Uh, and so, after they read this, there's almost this immediate, uh, joyful response, a childlike response, almost like, we, we've got to do this. This is what the Word says. We, we need to, to live in tents for a week, and so let's do this. Down in verse 17. And all the assembly of those who had returned from the captivity made booths and lived in the booths. For from the days of Jeshua, the son of Nun, to that day, the people of Israel had not done so. And there was very great rejoicing. And day by day, from the first day to the last day, he read from the book of the law of God. They're still reading from the book every day. What's so instructive to me about this uh, is that their obedience was immediate, wasn't it? Joyful and immediate. As soon as they figured out, this is what God requires of us and demands of us, they immediately respond. There's no questions about this. There's no debate about this. There's no delay about this. 
they were just hear, not just hearers of the word, but doers of the word. Obedience. Now, of course, we have no obligation to observe the Feast of Booths today, which I'm kind of thankful. It's awful hot to be tent camping this time of year. This was part of the, the ceremonial law that Christ fulfilled for us by His life and death. So we're not bound to this anymore. But how many other applications can we think of from God's Word where we need to be obedient? And yet some of us just delay and put off and disobey. Phrases like, uh, commands like this, to be holy as God is holy. Are you pursuing holiness? Uh, To give generously to God in worship. To honor your parents, to obey your parents, to practice purity when you're surfing the internet, to be holy in our dating relationships, those of you who are are dating, uh, to love and serve our spouses in faithfulness, sacrificially loving them, serving them. Reading the Scriptures in a disciplined way, meditating on them day and night as the Scriptures. And we could go on and on and on with all of these instructive commands of the Lord. Shouldn't this be our attitude when it comes to the Word of God? Listen to what the psalmist said. I will run in the way of your commandments when you enlarge my heart. Shouldn't it be the attitude of, of God's people that when they, they encounter the, the, the Word of God, that, that there is a response of this joyful obedience to the Word? Joyful, a running to, the, to, to God's commands. The law of your mouth is better to me than thousands of gold and silver pieces. A heart that, that says it's not drudgery to read God's Word. It is not drudgery to listen to most sermons on Sunday morning. It is not drudgery to sit in the Sunday school and, and hear the Word of God, that, that reading God's Word is not a waste of time. It's not just a box that I check off, but rather it is the joy of my life and the joy of my life to run toward His commandments in obedience because in this Word is joy and in this Word is life. We believe it. Are we responding? One commentator put it like this when God's Spirit moves on the hearts of His people, they don't just walk, they run in His path. It is, again, not drudgery and hardship to change and obey. They gladly reshape their lives to honor God. In this way, revival, again, we talk about revival and renewal or whatever term you want to to use there. It is always related to a return to the Scriptures. It is not something just experiential. It is when the people of God get serious about the Word of God and they obey it. This is a pattern of spiritual life I hope that you recognize this. What's happening here is a pattern for spiritual life that is as authentic today as it was 2,500 years ago. It has not changed, church. When someone finds new life in Christ, 
Or when there is a backslidden Christian, to use that term, and they experience a spiritual renewal, obeying God ceases to be drudgery and becomes a delight for them. Pleasing God becomes the chief joy of life, and, and this continuing passion to please God was a sign of genuineness of this uh, revival in Jerusalem, just as it is an indication of spiritual life today. It is not warm and fuzzy feelings. It is obedience to God and His Word. Does this characterize your life? Your attitude toward God and His Word Have you made His Word and given a central place in your life? Are you running in the way of His commandments? Is there both grief and gladness in your heart today over God's work in your life? And and, in what ways are you not being obedient to God right now? How are you responding to His Word? Obviously, what the Lord wants from us is to receive it with grief and gladness and to obey it. Are you? As we think about this today, I pray that you will look at your own heart and life. I know if you're like me, you will sense many areas in your life that you need God to do renewing and reviving in you. Amen? Or oh me. (laughs) Pray for this. Desire this, church. Pray for it in our own church. Perhaps today there's something specific, uh, uh, public, that God is leading you to do. If you're not a believer in Christ, uh, a Christian today, then His Word could not be more clear. It says today is the day of salvation. If you are hearing this Word and you know that you are not a believer in Christ, then do not put this off. Do not delay. Run to your Savior who is Jesus Christ. Or maybe you already know Him, but you've yet to obey Him by being baptized. Um, will you not follow Him today? Quit putting that off. What public decision that you need to make today? I'm going to be here down front during this last song of response. And uh, I invite you to come. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word today, which, again, uh, such a a story that 2,500 years old, but it continues to speak today what we need to hear, what needs to happen in our own hearts and lives. An attitude, a response that this, this life is not about us, it's about you, it's about your word. Oh, Lord, recover this. Recover this in our hearts, and our lives, in our church. That we would respond as the people here did with, with grief and gladness, with repentance and reverence, and most importantly, with obedience. Lord, we look to Jesus for help to do this by His Spirit. We pray in these moments that we would, as we worship you, that we would, we would simply offer ourselves to you. Take our lives, Lord. Do your work in us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.
Let's stand together. Thanks for listening to this podcast. I'm Pastor Jason Clark. And if you don't have a church home, I want to personally invite you to First Baptist Mount Washington. We're striving to be word-centered, gospel-focused, and community-minded. Learn more about our church and our meeting times from our website, fbcmw.org.